Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 198, I Love You, Now Get Out of My House. This week, we're discussing season four, episode one of Angel, Deep Down, and season three, episode 19 of Battlestar Galactica, Crossroads, part one. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right, Angel, uh, starting season, what are we on season four now? Yeah. After a little little extended break while we finished up Buffy um, and left this on some, you know, several uh, interesting cliffhangers. Um, I think you had one production note to share uh, before we get into the discussion. Yeah, sure. So um, we've talked, I mean, I think I brought up that uh, David Greenwalt has exited Angel at this point. Um, Basically, uh, yeah, he's gone on to do other things and Jeffrey Bell takes over um, starting this season as the showrunner, executive producer, whatever um, the right term is here. So uh, just a quick recap. I think we talked about him a little bit when he came on at the beginning of season three, um, where he first wrote that vision thing and then also co-wrote Billy, um, which is kind of a follow-up to that episode, um, Mm -hmm. which are both kind of, related to Cordy's visions and ultimate, uh, you know, um, uh, destiny, I guess we can call it mm-hmm. at this point. Um, although maybe ultimate's not the right word cause maybe there's a little more to be told, <laughs> but, um, sure. you know, so, uh, but her, just, her Cordy and her special destiny. <laughs> exactly. Um, so Jeffrey Bell is is the executive producer, but he's not. So, um, you know, like we've seen in Buffy with Joss Whedon sort of writing in the beginning and uh, ending of each season, except for season six, right? Um, we, we see that with um, Angel as well, whereas Joss or, and or David Greenwalt um, have been involved in pretty much the beginning and ending, you know, episodes of each season of Angel, um, again, Mm -hmm. up until now. And what's really kind of different about now is even with, uh, you know, with this new season, it's not even Jeffrey Bell who takes it. Like, you could almost say, okay, well, of course, David Greenwald's not involved because he left the show, but maybe Jeffrey Bell would be involved because, like, he's the new showrunner. Um, But as it Mm -hmm. turns out, he's not the... uh, one to write this episode. It's uh, Stephen S. DeKnight, who um, started out on Buffy and moved over to Angel and um, is writing the season opener. So, I, you know, I, I like Stephen S. DeKnight. I think he's done some good stuff, um, both, you know, mm-hmm. uh, to, to the point in the, his career where he's writing this episode of Angel, but also, like, since then. Um, so I don't, mm-hmm. you know, want to imply that there's anything... It's just kind of weird, I guess, is all I'm getting at, is that, you know, even on, like, Buffy, when it's not Joss Whedon, it's, like, Marty Noxon, you know, writing the season 
you know, opener mm-hmm. or or last episode or whatever. Like, um, for the most part, though, it's Joss Whedon. So it's like, but it's it's at least like the other executive like producer on the show who's like mm-hmm. doing it. And this is kind of like weird in that it's not even that right. Um, and we'll and so the the capstone of that is that at the end of the season we'll get um, Tim Minear writing the final episode of season four uh which you know he's not even the showrunner or anything either i think i think now at this point i you know the producer i always get kind of the the producer and whatever credits kind of mixed up as to who like once you get beyond like executive producer showrunner person it's like Mm -hmm. you know is supervising producer higher or lower than just like a regular producer or co-producer like so, you know, you know, I actually heard somebody discuss, so just for people's reference, because I didn't know this, but I heard someone explain that um, a lot of times when you see shows and there's like a string of producing credits at various levels, a lot of times that's all the writers on the show. Yep. And it has to do with like your rank. So like, depending on whatever, you know, whatever your position is, that describes your pay scale i guess so so a lot of times that is just the writer's room like they're they have producers credits but it might just be the pecking order of however they're arranged so that's 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 often what it means that's yeah that was kind of my understanding too that like producer on a show just basically means the writer but i guess i just don't know like what that actual rank is right like no and i don't either like which ones is yeah. like so what order do they go in that's like a different level of detail um, but yeah but like i know like so like tim minear this season is uh like consulting producer and so like mm. you know he rates a, so whatever level that is like it's it seems somewhat farther down than you know certainly executive mm-hmm. producer which is what jeffrey bell is and and like probably even then like i don't know co-producer or whatever like like so anyway so it's just kind of again pointing out that like we've got some little interesting things kind of moving around here with steven tonight and and tim minear kind of writing the the beginning and ending episodes respectively and then um you know jeffrey bell certainly does write episodes during the season but he's not kind of taking that showrunner role of writing the first and last um mm-hmm. uh at least in this season um now next season he he does he does write the season or the series finale uh co-writes it with Whedon so he'll certainly have more of a role there too but just kind of thought mm-hmm. it was interesting and and wanted to bring that up um as mm-hmm. far as that goes but um you know I think I think this is a decent episode I don't know like like I think there's some good stuff we can talk about like I don't know that it's Stephen Knight's strongest episode ever, but like it's serviceable, right? Like it's kind of like it's mm-hmm. a season opener. We, we're resolving some things from last season. We're setting up stuff for the new season. It's, you know, getting pieces moved about and all of that. And I think it does a pretty good mm-hmm. job of that. Um, and, and it's got some nice little quirks in it too. Like, <laughs> like with Fred and her, attempt at gangster slang um yeah yeah and that sort of thing but like yeah i like that as a little echo of um 
uh, it's about the mission, bro. You know, like taking that as like, uh, apparently whenever we talk about the mission, we have to throw bro at the end, right. you know, but it, you know, sounds less than impressive coming out of Fred, but yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it had, it had good, you know, uh, maybe not like more of like a setup or workhorse season premiere than like a kind of like, you know, best season premiere ever kind of thing. But it had moments of, that were kind of stand out and memorable. Sure. I think. Sure. I do. I, so, I mean, you know me, uh, I should hope by now I like the, um, ones that have maybe a little more complex structure to them than just straightforward. Sure. And so I do like the sort of daydream, you know, mm-hmm. pieces that we get with Angel and all of that. Um, so I, 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 I always sort of like those kind of things. But I know that's not where we wanted to start. So um, I'll turn it over to you, I guess, and, and let me know where you would like to begin um, talking about. Yeah, I guess we itself. get before we get into the the meteor stuff, um, we might as well start with the more straightforward, like setting up the situation. Um, so three months later with, um, Fred and Gunn. So we've done this, I think every season with Buffy and Angel where the season break corresponds to a break within the narrative where they're not picking up the next moment or the next day. They're incorporating a three month summer break into the story. Um, so that's part of this that, you know, where we left Angel and Cordy, they haven't been seen for three months and Fred and Gunn have not the first clue as to where they went. And presumably these two things are related in their minds because of course they disappeared on the same night. Why wouldn't you assume that? That seems like a reasonable conclusion to make. Um, But they haven't had any luck in tracking them down. So you're getting this increasingly desperate search for their friends. They're obviously short-staffed, so they're not able to serve clients as well or as frequently. So money is starting to become an issue in the future. Um, And the thing that surprised me most, I think, was the fact that they're taking care of Connor. Um, I kind of saw Connor's riding off with Justine as I would have guessed that he would just take off. Um, Not that he would necessarily stick around with Justine, but uh, that's where it seemed to me to leave him as, you know, having not wanting nothing to do with anything to do with angel or those people. So it kind of in a way makes what he did to angel even worse because he doesn't just trap him and condemn him to this sort of watery existence but he sticks around to actively throw Gunn and Fred off of the scent. Sure. <laughs> so it's like, so it's like a thing that has to be, he had his revenge and now he's working on the maintaining of the revenge. 
he has to make, he's actively making sure that they don't find him and figure it out. Um, while, you know, being treated like their kind of foster child and um, brought sandwiches and, you know, Fred is very affectionate and kind of motherly towards him and there's all this affection that he's accepting from them. And then in the meantime, he sort of sneaks off and kills all the vampires or sources that might be able to give them information about where Angel ended up. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess I didn't expect him to be investing all of the time and effort into this ongoing revenge against Angel. I saw it not not to excuse what he did, but as a more impulsive thing that he would do and then run off into just run away into the night. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I don't, I can see why you would think that for sure. And, and I mean, certainly the way is, appearance is written it seems like yeah they're they're sort of like expecting the audience to be surprised by that as well right because he just kind of like jumps in and saves fred after the vampire mm -hmm. throws the axe at her and it's like oh there's connor and like mm -hmm. why didn't we see him fighting oh because he was off somewhere else fighting other vampires like mm -hmm. you know whatever and so yeah no i think that's I think, yeah, they wrote it that way because that was sort of the assumption by a lot of people. And so it, it is a bit surprising um, mm -hmm. when he shows up. Um, and yeah, like, this is like, you know, he's, like, he never had maybe his petulant teenage phase with uh, Holtz, right? So now, like, mm -hmm. he's getting to indulge maybe a little bit of that, mm -hmm. you know, side of things. Um, Right. And simultaneously indulging and in getting sort of babied by Fred and right. having sparky, you know, F you dad issues with uh with gun. Right. You know. Right. Yeah, I mean, right. They sort of step into those roles kind of what you might think of as stereotypical mother father roles with a teenage son kind of thing mm -hmm. yeah and for all their frustration with connor and their missing of angel and cordy it doesn't necessarily seem that fred and gunn are that unhappy in those roles hmm. like they seem frustrated to me they seem tired of the situation and getting worried about how much longer they can keep this going, but they don't seem necessarily like miserable in their situation. Sure. Um, I feel like there's a part of it that they, they buy into the kind of family unit, nuclear family aspect of the way that they're living. So you're kind of seeing Fred and Gunn, like an aspect of their relationship that's changed because they're no longer 
a couple that's kind of part of the group and they're together kind of on the side, you know, sort of out of the way. Now they're like this mom and pop leadership of whatever's left of, you know, angel investigations and everything. Yeah, I mean... Right. It almost even calls back to that, like, demon couple they saw together, right, last season. Mm-hmm. Like, where it's like the, you know, maybe on the outside it seems like they're, like, ins- just insulting each other and, you know, <laughs> whatever. But, like, not that, like, even Fred and Gunn insult each other. But there is a disparity, I think, between mm-hmm. Gunn's sort of gruffness and and very like well you could benevolent benevolently call it you know uh realism but kind of pessimism at the whole situation Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. versus fred's more hopefulness and and also like i mean part of the hopefulness is the willingness to keep trying and also wanting to go like actively try to get help from Wesley and whatever. And, Mm -hmm. and Fred just kind of, you know, doing the whole putting my foot down thing and whatever. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So I think. Yeah. There's definitely disagreement in terms of their style of how they would go about this, but that spills over into like actual friction in the relationship. Yeah. Uh, And it's not the first time that Wesley has been a source of friction and disagreement. Right, because there's always... Between them. There's always that question on Gunn's part is, you know, does he not want to go to Wesley because he thinks it's pointless? Or does he not want to go to Wesley because he thinks there might still be some spark Mm -hmm. there that could flare up? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, and it is Gunn's refusal does get uh strain your ability to sort of forgive in this episode of okay it's been three months they have no leads whatsoever um and yeah his flat out refusal to even broach the subject yeah whether or not whatever his motivations are if it's you know jealousy over Fred or if it's actual belief that it won't come to anything um at a certain point to borrow a line from the BSG episode it doesn't hurt to ask you know <laughs> like at a certain point when you exhaust all other possibilities and you have one promising other possibility that you're refusing to even uh, look at that does get a little bit, you know, frustrating. So. Sure. Um. Um, But then I think later in the episode, there are some ways where guns realism or pessimism depending on how you look at it, serves him in some ways a little better because of his... Fred is much more betrayed by what they find out about Connor. Sure. 
and not not that I think Gunn did have some kind of some sort of gruff affection for Connor, but he does also have the line about you know reminding her that he's not just any boy. So the fact that he was sort of prepared for the other shoe to drop sad as it might be to live your life that way, it does protect him from the disappointment when he's like proved right, you know? Sure. Well, but also, I mean, not just protect him, but also allows him to have a more measured response because like, well, right. yes. you know, Fred is like ready to like basically almost tase Connor him. to death. Yeah. And, yeah. and guns like, Whoa, wait, you know, let's, right. you know, let's hold up here a little bit and you know maybe ask some questions rather than just you know torturing right. him um right and then so that is helpful in that situation for gun's reaction but then you see with wesley i think if taken too far the logical extension of not trusting anybody leads to him refusing to go to wesley for any help right. even after so much time yeah. no so there's a kind of pro and con aspect to it right. of you can see the benefit and the the disadvantage of each of their sort of personalities that way yep um okay so while they're trying to figure out where angel is they're calling lauren for help <laughs> and Lauren is um, kind of dismissive. He really doesn't seem that worried. He's, you know, off in his uh, Vegas world, donkishaining the tourists, uh, as, as Fred says. Um, and he's, like, not returning their calls, kind of gives her a wishy-washy non-answer of like oh i haven't heard anything i'll keep an you know keep an ear out but then if he hasn't called before then why would he start doing that now um yeah and that's 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 not good i think i said recently like i really like lauren i want him to be part of the group and come on he has he has to pull through here. Sure. I mean, yeah, we'll see where where it leads, I guess. I mean, at least he's still in the episode, right? So, like, it's not like he left he at the end of last season and we don't see him again. No, he is. And he's included in Angel's, like, dream visions. Like, he's one of the people who's sort of, you know, dreaming. He's dreaming about for sort of spiritual guidance and he's included in in the the family table scenario right when angel thinks of his warm complete happy family um he's there so he's definitely in spirit part of the group um so i want to flag something and you can answer or not mm -hmm. um the thing with fluffy jumped out to me and I don't know this seems like a really weird way to like I don't know tease something okay um 
But the fact that he kind of says this random thing that makes no sense of like, make sure Fluffy's getting enough love, which doesn't seem to make any sort of sense whatsoever to me or to anybody. And even they have Fred and Gunn try to figure it out and like get distracted and not talk about, they never really figure out what does Fluffy mean? Right. And I like Fred saying, are you Fluffy? Because <laughs> he called me Fluffy. Like why a gun of all people? Right. Um, the the least smoothed ball. Yeah. 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 That's like when they called giant people tiny, you know, like it, I don't really see it, but um, so the fact that that's brought up and, and noticed and then in no way resolved or explained. Just like totally threw me the first time I was watching it. Still didn't know what to make of it the second time. And so I have a, a, a theory or a hope that this is some kind of clue. That like maybe he is, can't talk openly. And so this is a kind of coded I can't talk openly about what I know or suspect or what's really going on, but I'm saying this random thing that makes no sense in the hope that you will notice and find some way to figure it out. Hmm. 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 I mean... Do you want me to say anything more than, hmm? I, no, it, it, only if you want to. I mean, if it's, if it's a definitive hard no, you can tell, you can disappoint me. If it's, if it's, if you want to leave it open to see where it goes, I won't take that as a confirmation or a denial. I'll just let it lie. Sure. But I, this is me trying to make sense of a moment that didn't make sense. Sure. And in doing so... I mean, find a way that Lorne actually secretly cares and is trying to help them. <laughs> sure. I, I, I get that desire. Um, we'll see Lorne again is all I'll say. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, I don't. Fair enough. You don't want to confirm or deny. Yeah. I, wh whether the fluffy thing is a throwaway or not, like, whatever we'll 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 get and we'll get some kind of answer as to what lauren is doing um mm -hmm. whether or not that includes what fluffy is fluffy um so yeah okay fair enough that's all we'll say about that <laughs> that's, um, that's all i have to say about that um okay so Moving on to Wesley and Lila, um, who are still together, and I don't know if happy can be the word you describe <laughs> either of them, really, but there is a certain contentment that seems like it wasn't there three months ago. That there was, well, I mean, there's still some, there's still. I don't even know that I competition and stuff, but like yeah, I don't even know that I'd say contentment. Maybe like comfortableness. Comfort? Sure. Yeah, like right, like like there is a. It's yeah, it's like that. You know, the more you're around someone, 
and the more mm-hmm. you sort of let down your guard a little bit, even though I feel like both of them still have their guards up pretty high. It's like maybe yes. slightly down. No, like it, that's that's like, very true. Like it's like, only the yeah. the portcullis and not the entire gate, you know, like <laughs> uh <Right. laughs> so um yeah, right. no, I, I agree. Like there is there is a there's certainly more of a familiarity about there and and a playfulness almost to their Right. Um, right. Like the 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 jabs and the barbs seem less mean spirited than they did yeah. when it first started. Right. It's there's still jabs. Like this the relationship is still built on insults and competition and anger and all this self-loathing and everything. And, and but um, even distrust and yeah. Yeah, yeah, but less um but yeah, maybe a little bit more teasing or more playful than when it first started. Um, and I mean, Wesley's keeping a huge secret that like Justine is in the closet the whole time, like while they're together. Um, and definitely yeah, Lila. Let's, can... let's make sure to come back to that. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> Lila's definitely has her secrets too, I'm sure. And there's even like the way she brings up Angel and Wesley kind of laughs. It's like you kind of get the sense that she's fishing for information of like, what do you know? All this stuff. But then when she says to Linwood that that's not why she's with him, I kind of believe her. Like, well, Wesley, if Wesley knows something, she's not going to not find out and use that. But that's not her sole motivation. Like, if she asks and he says, I don't know, she's still going to come back. Like, I don't think she's solely pumping in for information, and that's the, the only reason that she's there. It's sure. just sort of, you know, it might well, be a beneficial side effect if something were to come and up. And I also, I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of even read it a little bit differently that, well, I, I don't mean to say that, like, your reading is wrong, because I, I think it can be read either way here. So, like, this is just sort of my take, but it's, I'm not, mm-hmm. I don't think there's a right or wrong to it. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of take it even as, like, she just asked because it's almost, like, expected of her. Like, like you can almost see her, like, oh, he's expecting me to, like, try to weasel something about Angel, so I'm just going to do it. And So it's almost more like a routine or a dance kind of thing it's like these are the steps that you kind of like are expecting to take but it's this is like their equivalent of hi honey how was your day like right like part of the the ritual of seeing each other yeah and well and just that they are like at least nominally enemies and stuff right like that like Mm -hmm. as enemies like Obviously, if I'm sleeping with you, it's only to get information from you. And and in that way, right. it's almost maybe even like a bit of a defense mechanism for Lila in her relationship mm-hmm. to Wesley. Like, you know, it's to say like, oh, I'm going to I'm asking you about Angel. So clearly I don't care about you in any way, shape or form. Right. Like, I'm obviously just here trying to get you to spill the beans about Angel. And Maybe the other way, too, with Wesley of, like, the sort of laugh off of, like, ha, 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 I don't know anything and I don't really care. 
Like, obviously he yeah. does care. I mean, it's kind of true that he doesn't know much at that point. But, I mean, he does eventually find Angel. So, I mean, he knows enough. And, and like you said, he's keeping that big secret. So, like, they're both putting on faces. But I kind of feel like it's like, even if they're true faces in a way, it's kind of like, that's not why they're wearing them. They're, it's like, mm. like they're putting them on almost because they they think the other expects them to put that on. And so that's what they do. And that maybe there is more of an affection between mm. them than either one wants to admit. And so this becomes the way to like, you know, put on that mask and kind of pretend that there's, you know, nothing really big mm-hmm. deal about what they're doing and, and all of that. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't, that's again, like just sort of maybe how you can read it. And I, and maybe it's not even that far off of what you were saying, but that's just kind of my take. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. And the fact that they even care at all to arrange, um, manipulate circumstances to make their relationship more, comfortable or low pressure or whatever it is kind of signifies that they care enough to do that. Right. If they were purely in it for selfish motivations, they wouldn't do that. Right. Or you might almost expect a little more deviousness and trying to manipulate and get information. And yes, right. Which neither of them, other than that one half-hearted attempt to bring up Angel that doesn't go anywhere, neither of them right. really press, like, presses the issue at all. We know Lila enough to know that, like, if she wanted to, she could have put a lot more effort and artifice into that sort of asking. But yeah, like, this is yeah. totally like, I'm here, he probably expects me. Maybe she even suspects that, like, Gavin is watching or listening or whatever. Like, so maybe there's that aspect to it, too, of, like, yeah, you know, playing the part for Wolfram and Hart as well. Um, sure. Sure. So- um, well, let's talk about Wolfram and Hart, because I don't think we need to spend too much time on them. But, um, yeah, it kind of comes down to this. I guess, office culture clash between Lila and Linwood of how things should be run. Um, starts out with Lila being backfooted and surprised, you know, with this sort of impromptu performance review in what's supposed to be a staff meeting when we have everybody gathered together and let's all talk about what a screw up Lila is. Yeah. And go over her abysmal performance record and all this stuff. Um, And, you know, long story short, she saw this coming, already preempted. Linwood went to a senior partner who has a name, which is interesting. Mr. Suvarta? Yeah, something like that. Suvarta, yeah. Which, whether or not that name is significant or we ever, like, meet this person... The senior partners have always, I think, so far had a very kind of mythic uh, reputation of, you know, it, it almost could be the nameless demonic demigods that live either 
below the ground or in the sky or whatever. So the fact that there's even like a guy with like Mr. Whatever is one of the senior partners that you can talk to is sort of interesting. Right. Um, And we don't know what he like. You call him Mr. Savarka. He could be a demigod, you know, for all I know, but. Right. Um, But it, it personalizes the senior partners in a way that I don't think we've really had before. But so she made contact, went over Linwood's head, got her, you know, ear to the people that matter and beheads him in the middle of his. So this is Wolfram and Hart. If you, if you don't perform well, as we've seen, you get publicly executed in front of your coworkers. Um, and then gives Gavin the job of cleaning up the mess when it's over. So. Yeah. So yeah, Lila's, Lila's in charge and (laughs) she has screwed up. I think she admits that and we've seen examples of that. She doesn't always necessarily make the smartest, you know, tactical moves, but at the same time, in her own way, she has, she has the mission, bro, of you know Wolfram and Hart, and knows what that is, and knows not to mess with certain essential aspects of it, such as Angel's involvement in that. Whereas, like Linwood is motivated by his fear and would let Angel sort of rot under the ground or under the water. Uh, Lila is going to make sure that he fulfills whatever terrible prophecies he's part of. Mm-hmm. So, so she's a big picture person rather than a details person. But I guess that's what the senior partners want. So she gets the promotion. Yeah. Um, right. So just quickly on the senior partners thing so angel did kill one of them right um with the whole glove thing oh that's right Um, yeah yeah yeah. so and it was manifesting as some kind of demon thing like i i don't know if that's Mm -hmm. what it is or if that's like there's always that question of like is that like its true form or whatever Mm -hmm. um sure but like, uh, so this one we get named. I will say, I believe this is the only name we ever hear of a senior partner, um, and it's never referred to again. <laughs> okay. So it's one of those things where it's like, it is kind of significant that it's like, oh, I went to this very specific like senior partner and talked about you and you know, basically got authorization to kill you. And remember, like, uh, just because you die doesn't mean you stop serving, right? Right, yes. <laughs> so Linwood, Linwood may floors. still be uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. out there somewhere. But, um, yeah, there is that, you know, uh, the senior partners are important, but it's also kind of like the higher beings, 
right? Mm-hmm. Like the power, the powers that be, or like whatever we want to call. And it's still unclear, like what role these all play in. You know, they seem to be sort of multi-dimensional creatures of some sort. Um, and we don't really know much about them. But yeah, like we're not. I don't think the name Savarta is ever mentioned again and like i'm fairly sure you know me and my memory but i'm fairly sure we don't ever get another like named partner named senior partner or anything sure sure and i think it serves its purpose as it it sounds like some you know uh executive or board member that she went and appealed to so it, it fits the kind of metaphor of of very corporate right. Wolfram and Hart and everything. Um, but the the form and the name can all just be a disguise for whatever it is that and, the senior partners really are. So it's totally normal, I think, for them to use those things that aren't necessarily reflective of their true nature. It could just be a name or a persona that it's adopted for some sure, reason. Sure, right. If it wants to sound corporate and professional, then Mr. Yeah. Sparta kind of does the trick. Well, uh, well, and speaking of trick, right? There's another Mr., right? Mr. Trick. Like, that was yeah, his sure. vampire name, you know, was Mr. Trick. And, and right, to give him that sort of, like, uh, impression of, you know, uh, whatever, respectability or something, right? Mm-hmm. Um so yeah. Yeah. Um and like nobody questions it, right? So this is Lila, you know, sort of stepping up and and saying not for the first time like you're you're going in the wrong direction here. And now it's like she has validation from a senior mm-hmm. partner and can sort of take that next step and you know, take over the special projects division. Um, I'm still not clear what other special projects there are besides messing, messing around with angel. Like, (laughs) like that seems to be like, yeah, I don't, I I mean, I don't know that we get a clear idea of like what the plural is in special projects. Mm -hmm. Um, but Hey, you know, whatever. Or even, like, how big the... Because, like, it seems to have grown, too, right? Like, mm. like if Linwood's the special projects president or vice president or whatever, like, that staff meeting had how many? Like, eight or ten people in it, right? Like, I mean, it's mm-hmm. not like... It's not like where it was just, like, Lila and Lindsay at the beginning and then, like, sort of right. Gavin comes in and... Mm-hmm. uh you know, replaces Lindsay or whatever. And then like, but like suddenly it's like, Hey, there's quite a few people here. Like what, what's all going on? Right. Like what, right. what else are especially they Especially if, on? especially if the only project is leave Angel at the bottom of the ocean. Sure. Like easy, done, you know? So there must be other things that they work on that we just don't, we only see the stuff that's relevant to Angel specifically. Yep. Um, all right so speaking of angel then yes um well before we jump 
to Angel very quickly. Um, anything else to say about Wesley and Justine? Because we do need to oh, yeah. address uh, their uh, their weird little situation so, yeah. that they have going on here. I mean, we'll see where Wesley goes or doesn't go beyond this, but this mm -hmm. sort of, at least kind of at the beginning of season four here, is I think where we see Wesley at his darkest, <laughs> including like, you know, keeping human slaves or a human yes. slave, at least. Yeah. Um, yeah. Although complicated by the fact that it's the first turn towards a positive contribution of, you know, I mean, there was the moment of helping Fred when, when he was asked but that you didn't really get the sense that he was actively looking for any kind of reconciliation beyond Fred's in trouble, I will help her. This is more going out of his way, unasked by anybody, to yeah. search for Angel and really not just find him, but searching over months actively tracking him down, rescuing him, rehabilitating him, giving him his own blood when the animal blood doesn't do the trick, delivering him. He doesn't just like leave him on the sidewalk. He takes him back to the hotel. Like he's really going all the way in terms of, sure, you know, his rescue. So you could potentially see this. I don't know this for sure, but like as the first upward trend toward redemption too so to have it kind of simultaneously in order to do this he has to do the darkest thing right. that he's done in in keeping justine in his closet so i guess make of that what you will but the two the fact that the two come together is yeah well like like would he have ever found angel had he not yeah, and I don't, I'm not... Been willing to do this kind of thing. I'm not necessarily yeah. even trying to pinpoint where the... Because, like, I mean, maybe next episode they'll be like, well, actually, this is maybe a little further down than last one or whatever. But, like... Sure, but like, sure. I, like, I right, agree you're what you're... saying, like, generally. I agree, like, with what you're saying. It's kind of like... It's like that thing of, like, can you do bad things to, you know, end up with good results kind of thing, and that's kind of what he's doing here. It's like, obviously keeping a woman prison in your imprisoned in your closet is never good. But right. like, if we're talking about like who has the mission, bro, like Wesley mm -hmm. does kind of have it here. Like this is, you know, he's thinking long-term he's doing the things that like Lila's chiding Linwood for not doing like, you know, he's obviously they're on opposite sides, but you know, he's, he's trying to figure out what, where Angel is and kind of what, you know, he can do to help him out and, and all of that. Um, and so I agree, like in a sense there is, it is like, there is a redemptive element to it, but I also get the sense that like, as as feigned as maybe Wesley is in front of Lila about not caring, 
I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, I do kind of get the sense that that's truer when he's leaving the hotel and, like, looking back at Fred and Gunn and saying, you know, he needs more blood, I'm fresh out. Like, like there is that sense of, like, I've literally done all I can do, including giving him mm-hmm. my blood. And, like, I can't stick around anymore at this point. So, mm-hmm. he does help. He does save Angel. But, like, I don't know. What do, I mean, what do you, those are just kind of my words. So, like, what do you think, like, as far as that moment? Like, do you think he's... I, I, that moment of Fred saying, you really don't care anymore, um, actually rang a little weird for me because I feel like it's so obviously not true. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't spend months tracking Angel down with no nobody reaching out to him to ask him to do this if he doesn't care at all. Sure. So let me ask this. Like, what does he care about, though? Because, like, I feel like you can interpret that question, like, in different sure. ways. Like, And absolutely, that could be a different... Right. So, like you said, maybe Wesley has the mission. Maybe it's the mission. Maybe it's not so much about Angel, the person, and more about his status as this champion like angel talks about like it could just be from a purely uh bird's eye point of view of this is a a thing worth doing but the personal feelings have gone um or maybe it's the opposite maybe because i honestly don't know like maybe he's lost his passion for the the uh, abstract mission, but still has a personal investment in his friends, even if they don't feel the same way. Mm. So, I mean, I don't disagree that when he leaves, he's wrung out and is sort of saying, I did what I could, you take care of it now. Um, but I, I wouldn't say that he doesn't care because his actions, to me, don't suggest that at all. And I feel a little disappointed in Fred, who has been the one person who's arguing against everybody else that Wesley does care and they should care about him and they should reach out to him and do all this stuff. And she's being this voice in the wilderness against everybody who's saying she's she's crazy and when when wesley actually shows up voluntarily and rescues the thing angel after months of them not doing anything she says oh you obviously don't care like what like here he is proving the very thing she's been trying to say all along and i mean and i guess like so i i guess my and and i agree like it does seem Without necessarily disagreeing with what you said about him caring to some degree, I think she's Mm -hmm. talking about them. Like, the family of Angel Investigations. Like, I think that's what she's saying he doesn't care about. And I don't know that she's entirely wrong. Because, like... Sure. 
Now, whether his caring or not caring is based on appropriate or or not appropriate, but but like the correct perception and interpretation of what's mm-hmm. going on, that's like a different thing. But I do feel like at that point he still feels shunned, which he is mm-hmm. by them. And mm-hmm. and that like he can have the you know caring about the mission and the way like life and the universe turns out for people without mm-hmm. necessarily like caring about like the people now. And I'm not saying he does or doesn't, but like, I think that's what Fred's talking about. And I think that's what he's sort of responding to in that moment. Again, he may be like, he may be putting on the same face that he puts on for Lila and pretending he doesn't care or mm-hmm. doesn't know or whatever, but um, yeah, sure. I don't know. And, I don't know. And I think I felt like when when Lila or Wesley or Fred talk about him caring, the fact that they don't necessarily specify about what right leaves that somewhat ambiguous. I took it to mean. Like, she doesn't say, you don't care about us. Right. She says, you don't care. And so I took it as a broader statement about his attitude towards, like, life in general. Um, sure. So I don't and, necessarily... And he might have... And, and he definitely could have come to a conclusion of, as far as those people and those relationships are concerned, I've reached the limit of what I can invest in that sure. um I, and you know so he could care about some things but not that and i think that's a valid interpretation and and so i mean like i i would venture a guess that that phrasing is you know it's a it's a calculated ambiguity right by the writers right mm-hmm. but like is it also like are we meant to see it also as sort of a calculated ambiguity on Fred's part too? Like maybe she's scared to state what she thinks Wesley doesn't mm. care about, and so she leaves it vague, um, or she doesn't realize they're speaking past each other. Like, are they really? Right. Has everybody needs to sit down and define their terms? Right. What are what exactly are we talking about here? Is it is it are we talking about Wesley's sort of nihilistic view of the universe and his life? Or are we talking about his specific broken relationships with these people or both sure. or neither and something else entirely? And I feel like it kind of in a different way, almost reminds me of the moment when, um, when Angel is seeing Connor, but Wesley's there and he says, I should have killed you. Like the way that you can take a statement out of the context in which it's meant and it can mean something totally different. Mm. Like that's not what Angel was. He was not trying to communicate that to Wesley in that moment, but that's what Wesley heard and saw. So I feel like even the question of what does Wesley care about and Fred's question about, do you care about anything? well, what's the context in which you mean that question? Because I feel like maybe he would give different answers depending on sure. 
what it is that she's really asking. So. Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. But I was, I, I would have expected her to be like, oh, you brought Angel. <laughs> this is validation. This is what I've been saying right. for months now. But um, that's not her. She's put off by the coldness of his demeanor and well you know, and so. and how much too is it that she just realized how the extent to of connor's betrayal so maybe it's not sure. e maybe it's she's just in a bad mood yeah maybe it's a you reaction <laughs> right well may, yeah maybe it's that you know over over the top reaction of tasing connor too many times this is a similar reaction to wesley right. of feeling betrayed and right right and like gun was right i can't trust anybody these people are all traitors and are letting me down yeah. and yeah yeah sure okay all right angel um all right angel in the last three minutes um <laughs> You mentioned his dreams, which were which were good. Like it, I dream vision quest things are always a good time. Um, yeah, just kind of trying to parse out the the symbolism of what everything represents and signifies, and everything is always fun. Um, so we mentioned uh, his Thanksgiving meal, which includes Lauren and Wesley. So right. that's a significant thing that when he imagines family, it's with these people who have left or have disappointed him or betrayed him that he, in his subconscious, at least he includes them all. Um, and I, you know, the way that he can't eat the food seems fitting for his sort of eternal torment down under the water. Cause that's a very Greek thing of hell is, endless repetition without satisfaction you know it's it's right pushing it's, the rock up for, yeah it's yeah or you reach for food that forever recedes out of your grasp so you're always hungry but you're always tormented by the fact that it's just right over there you can't ever get it so that seems like for angel trapped seemingly forever in the ocean that seems like a good visualization of that um and the fact that he's going crazy from hunger. So, of course, he's dreaming about food. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's the meeting with Cordy, the kind of uh, better version of what their their meeting should have been. Um, but but be it's better in a way that he realizes that it's too good, right? Like, sure. this, this is great. But it didn't happen. So, like, mm -hmm. yeah, again, that thing of, yeah. like, this is what could have been, but it's not. So, yeah. is that, that's even more tormentous. Mm -hmm. And he's still hungry, so he... Right, of course, yeah. I mean, all of know, these are, like, right. The food, the, the hunger comes in to be a factor in all of them. Um... And then, yeah, I mean, now that you point that out, that's kind of the theme of all of the dreams is a vision of the idealized version of what these relationships would be. So dinner around the table, uh, 
a relationship with Cordy and then being with Connor and like doing their father son fighting team thing right. of us united and in sync and helping each other and everything. Um, until he snaps Connor's neck in his kind of Jenny, Jenny calendar moment. Oh yeah. I didn't even actually make um, that connection, but yeah. Huh. I feel like every time there's like a neck snapping with Angel. Right. She's, like she's, think of she's the epitome like of neck snapping. Like the archetypal. Snap. Arch- yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Sure. Sure. Yeah, no, I think, I think that it, like, all of these, day, I mean, that's what daydreams are, essentially, right? Like, if it's, sure, you know, it's not really a daydream if it's not, like, what you'd rather be doing or, or the situation you'd rather be in, you know? Sure, right, which I guess maybe separates it from the pure id of of a true weird dream where it's just your subconscious, like totally off the hook and abstract. It's more thinking about what the things that he's longing for and the things that he's wishing for. Yep. Um, Um, I mean, we talked about Wesley rescuing him. So other than moving to his yeah. confrontation, well, I'm not sure if there's anything else to the, the only one thing I would say is sort of Wesley's description, right? Like we, it's been a while since we've got any like new vampire lore, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so just the description of like, you know, a vampire can exist indefinitely without feeding, but the damage to the higher brain functions from prolonged starvation can be catastrophic. Like this idea that there is like, an actual physiological component to the feeding, which I don't mm-hmm. feel like we've gotten before. Like mm-hmm. we get like, is it Spike saying something like, you know, Oh, it's always about blood. But even that, like there's almost a sort of still mystical, you know, mm-hmm. aspect to it. Like, it's not even that like blood sustained you in any particular way. It's just that like, there's a life force and it's kind of a mystical mm-hmm thing of the vampire sucks the blood because of that life force or whatever. And, and as far as like the, like the whole, like the reason why a vampire turns to dust is because like, it's the spirit sort of keeping the body artificially alive. You know, the, the demonic vampire spirit keeping it artificially alive. So when you stake it or chop its head off or what, you know, whatever, happens to release that spirit like that's why the body goes kaput Mm -hmm. but this is kind of the first time where we really get like it's not just like like there's an actual physical sustenance provided by Mm -hmm. the feeding of the blood on the blood Mm -hmm. or whatever so i don't know i just right figured we at least ought to mention that aspect that yeah. Right, which I feel like that's been somewhat implicit in that even good vampires like Angel have to eat and like he right. doesn't just eat normal food, he eats But I guess that is animal blood. But this is really explaining like going into the details of Right. Well, and I guess that is know, why can't why can't he just go cold turkey from it and yeah. You know even up till now, though, I think you could explain it as, like, 
is sort of a compulsion of like the mm. demonic spirit, but not again, like not a physical physiological necessity. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, sure. so like, yes, he needs to do it. But like, I always got a sense that that was more of like a psychological thing, like driving him to do it. Not that like, it mm -hmm. was like, you know, his higher brain functions would fail if he doesn't kind of thing. Right. right. Um, and it might be even one of those things where it's like pure instinct on a vampire scale. Like this might just be like Wesley, the scholar knows this. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, maybe because the Watchers Council did tests back in the day. <laughs> you know, like I could see them saying, like, how long can we go without feeding a vampire blood? And, you know, what happens when that does that? Like, almost yeah, yeah. initiative, like, you know, testing yeah, yeah. of, you know, how, how long can a vampire, uh, you know, go without getting blood or whatever. And actually, it just occurred to me that could, like, what was, um, Kralik, right? Like in, in the Buffy turns 18 episode where, you know, Giles mm -hmm. was making her weak and all of that. Um, like he's insane. Like maybe that's how he went insane is because they like mm. withheld blood from him for so long or like, yeah, only feed him once a year when, or, or however often it is that a slayer reaches 18 and that kind of thing. And so like, maybe that's part of the right. insanity is, you know, the lack of feeding. Anyway. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so, yeah. So the confrontation then at the end. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Angel doing um, his Wesley from the Princess Bride. His like, my bluffing, you know. Um, sure. And in a way he totally is, but he has enough authority and kind of uh, confidence to give enough doubt that Connor sits when he's told and listens. Right. You know, is, is respectful enough. There's enough doubt there to sort of fake his way through it. And then, like, collapses the second that he leaves so it was like just enough to get through this conversation yeah um yeah and wesley or not wesley <laughs> angel different wesley angel does his tough love yeah dad thing of of i love you but i can't support these lifestyle choices and decisions that you're making so as long as you're under my roof, you're under my rules, and if you can't follow them, then you can find somewhere else to live. Yeah. And does that that whole thing yeah. um, of "I love you." Now get out of my house. So, which is sort of like I don't necessarily disagree that there was a better decision where Connor's concerned, but it does kind of raise the question of, okay, do, you don't want to keep an eye on him, or you know, <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, now he's just roaming free, which, like, what's he going to do? Like, he's not going to kill him. He's not necessarily going to keep him there. So maybe he doesn't have a choice and they have to sort of figure it out as they go. Um, but you did kind of turn this dangerous kid loose, you know, on the streets with no idea of where he's off to. Yeah. I mean, I do, I feel like it is that sort of 
like now we've seen your true colors, so we'll be on our guard kind of thing though too. Like it's not like Sure, yeah, yeah. Like it, right, it's not no. like he's just letting them go and then like they're going to forget about him. Like No, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and so even with Connor, um the one moment that jumped out to me is when Angel says about Holtz that he had himself killed and I tried to tell you and you weren't listening. I feel like Connor like instantly believes him. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, there's that sense of like, uh, he maybe kind of already knew this or like, he really didn't take any convincing all, at, at all. You know, the, it instantly switches to, even if that's true, you deserved it. And it's like, okay, Connor, you know, it's true. Right. You maybe have known it's true for longer than you're letting on. And so, yeah. Um, Holtz wasn't exactly, uh, you know, the warmest dad figure ever. <laughs> like Connor, you can see that Connor doesn't trust Angel, but you tell them, you tell him that about Holtz, and he goes, "Okay, I can see it." <laughs> you know, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Right. Um. Yeah, I mean. Maybe a little surprising that we that he lets him go, but yeah, um, I don't know that there's much more to say there. I mean, the just of the speech, like it's not like Connor has a lot to talk back about. Like he just kind of like, okay, I'm out of here, right? Um, yeah, and is maybe uh, yeah. I don't. I mean. Maybe Connor's even got a little more fear in him now, not just about Angel, but even like mm-hmm. with Fred tasing him and stuff. Like, mm-hmm. not that like he prop like I'm sure he th- knows that he could take Fred like if he needed to, but also like Fred shows a little little more grit here than like mm-hmm. in your average episode. And not that like we yeah. we haven't seen her show grit before, but um, it's kind of that deviousness no, and, and, and ruthlessness yeah. that even yeah i don't know that we've seen quite to that level right right there's the grit of handling yourself in a dangerous situation and then there's like this vindictiveness of i'm going to hurt somebody just because they hurt me when it, it doesn't serve any she's not it's not in defense it's not to get anything it just is a purely visceral anger at at his betrayal and everything that is definitely a nastier side of understandable but still i think like you said a more ruthless side of fred than we've seen um and so other than that i mean i feel like the the only moments when it really gets dangerous uh between Angel and Connor is when the question of Cordy is raised and did Connor have anything to do with her? Because Angel's very motivated to find Cordy. Um, So I guess we'll finish with her of (laughs) going through the clouds into heavenly paradise in the stars um, where Cordy is bored out of her mind, as of course she would be. If she were in a heavenly paradise with nothing to do, um, we don't actually know what's going on, so I''t 
jumping to any conclusions, but yeah, yeah, she's been made a higher being and uh, doesn't know what to do with herself, <laughs> which is kind of hilarious. Cordy's too, um, she's too earthly to be a pure, a, a being of sort of abstract, higher thought, you know? Sure. Yeah, I mean, we'll see where that goes, but yeah. All right. Okay. Well, we're over our time a little bit, so we'll switch over to BSG now. Yes. So the beginning of the finale for uh, mm -hmm. season three, so the first part, um, you had a couple production notes, I think. Yeah, just a couple. Um, one of them you actually brought up a while ago that this is one of those only few episodes without the survivor counts. Um which I feel like you mentioned before, this one was due more just out of reasons of, okay, the episodes are long and we need to cut for time, not necessarily yeah. for any story purpose, but, you know, still notable and, and worth yeah. mentioning. Although we do get um, we do get survivor counts in the uh, trial. In the, the narrative of the trial. Um, so you're reminded of, yes, although there, which is a good Although point. those are like, snapshots of earlier right like it's not like current survivor sure but it's yeah like sure. how many survivors we had when we got to new caprica how many we had when we left and sure sure but it is really the episode where that aspect of it is discussed of like openly we give a kind of reason for the the ongoing survivor counts of this idea of when the dead so vastly outweigh the living, you count the living rather than the dead, which is a kind of gory idea that that's what they do of like, however many billions of people were wiped out, they're counting the, you know, 50 or so thousand souls that remain, um, which kind of, I mean, it was implied, but that sort of, highlighting the purpose of doing that at the beginning of each episode. Um, so, yeah. So it is, you know, a significant thing, I think. Um, and then I also just wanted to mention uh, the writer, Michael Taylor, who wrote Unfinished Business and Taking a Break from All Your Worries. This is his third script of the season. Um, and actually, when you were talking about the the Angel writers and showrunners, um, it made me kind of think to look up um, the fact that I think this is the first season finale that Ron Moore wasn't directly involved in writing. Like, obviously, he's running running the show and involved in the writer's room, but he's not writing either of the scripts. Um, and then it's actually really surprising from Occupation and Precipice at the beginning of season three, he doesn't directly write any episodes until halfway through season four. Oh, really? Which is like a long time for the showrunner to not directly write. I don't know if there was a reason for that or what, um, but that that is what it is. And 
Um, so, you know, the other writers are obviously able to sort of step in and, uh, you know, write some of these other episodes, mm -hmm. but, you know, just thought I would point that out. Uh, so where did you want to start? Um, so let's start with kind of, um, the non-trial stuff early. I mean, we'll talk about some other non-trial stuff kind of as we go through, but there's like a few, mm -hmm. like more like situational things going on mm -hmm. here. Um, in particular, the, I, so I, I guess, I guess we chalk it up to hunch that Adama is like, Oh, let's order a Raptor to like stay behind even longer than they have been. Right. Like, so apparently they've mm -hmm. been, they've been leaving like, a rafter behind at each jump to just make sure like they're not being trailed. Um, and like now he, he basically like doubles the time that it stays there. And of course, racetrack uh, gets the, you know, draws the short straw on that one. It's she's always like in trouble. Yeah. Her raptor's always like exploding and about to kill her. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, so um, they do that, and lo and behold, some Cylons show up. Um, yeah. So, which causes some problems, because it's like, okay, well, how are they following us, right? This is, which is an interesting sort of hearkening, even just back to the beginning of the series of 33, with, you know, mm. there's something, they're tracking us somehow, we don't know how, and, you know, we need to figure that out. Um, obviously not quite as harrowing, and like, maybe it's a tracking method. Maybe it like takes a little bit longer, you know, to figure out where they are, or maybe the Cylons are like less like, maybe it's more about following than killing at this point. Right. Cause like they know the fleets looking for earth and the Cylons are like trying to follow them more than, you know, mm -hmm. trying to actually like destroy them at this point. Um, I guess we don't know because we don't really see the Cylons, right? Other than Caprica 6. Um, mm -hmm. But that, you know, that seems to me pl more plausible. Like, like maybe they learned their lesson with 33 and it was like, okay, we jumped on them like quick, like right away. Like now let's try the hanging back thing and just seeing right. where they Follow go. at a respectful distance. Um, so the question becomes, of course, yeah, like what, what are, how are they following us? What's, you know, giving us away kind of thing. Um, and Rosalind suggests like, well, why don't we ask Caprica Six? Um, of course, she just, speaking of dreams and daydreams, like mm -hmm. she just had a Kamala induced, apparently vision, I guess, um, of Caprica Six. Apparently, see, it's a little sketchy i guess we just are supposed to like accept rosalind's sort of interpretation but like mm. based on the dream itself like i don't i don't get the concept of caprica six doesn't want Hera to fall into the hands of the cylons right like you have you have rosalind and athena chasing after Hera, and then caprica six picks her up and just sort of like grins and like 
takes her yeah, away. Yeah, takes her away. Like, I don't know right. that it's not back to the Cylon. Like, so I guess it's just one sure. of those things where sure. it's like, like when you have a dream, you just know things. Like, you just know, like, I'm right. in the water, but it's okay because I can breathe and all my friends are here with me. Like, sure. even if, like... Sure all of the people who like are supposedly there with you don't actually appear in your dream. They're just like there and you know, it's okay. Like everything's fine. Like this seems to be like Rosalind's sort of like explanation, right? Like, well, I just know that Capricorn six doesn't want Hera to be given back to the Cylon. So we should talk to her because she'll be trustworthy. Right. And so, I mean, I feel like, you could also add in as evidence Caprica's bringing of Hera to Galactica away from the Cylons. I feel like that's part of right, it. Right, she too. helped Athena um, come back. Right, that like pri- Hera's safety is sort of her primary motivation. So I feel like that, but but also like I think to your point, when Adama kind of says like. Qu- pushes back on this dream theory, Rosalind immediately is, like, annoyed. Like, it's more than feeling. Just do it. Like, you know, that... So part of it is not a rational thing. Yeah. Part of it is, is a hunch, it's, like you said. It's a very mom response, right? Like, it, it's a very much a... It doesn't yeah. It doesn't matter if you understand why I'm telling you to do it. It doesn't matter why. Just, I'm telling just you. Just do yeah. it. And what's yeah. the harm anyway? It, there's no harm in asking, right? Like, right, like I, right. my mom totally said that to me, I'm sure. Like growing up, there's right. no harm in asking. Right. Just go do it. Right. Um, right. So yeah. Right. right. So there's a defensiveness there of like I don't need to have a reason. Yep. I said so. So go do right. it. I, um, I'm the president. Listen to what I say. Right. Yeah. And it's a moment of petulance, I think. And I think that combined with the fact that she is having this dream again, there are nice little bits of foreshadowing of the revelation, the bombshell that gets dropped. You know, of like, sure. why is Rosalind having strange dreams? Why is she carrying around thermoses of tea? Why is she snapping at people when they ask questions? And maybe if you're paying attention, you kind of could put the clues together ahead of the actual, like, revelation. Um, yep. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's some evidence for why she thinks this of Caprica, but there's also some just pure going on her hunch or her gut instinct of well i think it's true so let's just go with that um so ty gets to go in and 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 interrogate cabra six uh there's some punching um and yeah i like that she punches him back like yeah well also like there's it's kind of nice to see ty uh, get back the, you know, the anger that he put out, sure. you know. And and also, like, there's the whole, like, conversation that Romo had had with Caprica be- the week before about, oh, you know, you'll just get thrown out an airlock. But sure. as long as, like, she's still useful, and if they're asking questions like, how are the Cylons tracking us? She knows she's still useful. Like, there's a certain amount with which she can get away. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, but yeah, no, it's, I love seeing Ty take it to the chin every now and then. Um, 
He needs it every every yeah. now and then. Yeah. Not that it actually like changes him in any way, but no. In fact, it gets it, it makes it worse. Yeah. Because it's like it's the lead into to his testimony. You right. know, and so bringing up but, Ellen and punching him probably weren't great preps for his impending testimony. <laughs> yeah, but like, I mean, maybe there's an element there too. Like, I wonder how much Caprica Six might have realized that. Like, right? if he's going to, like, I don't know how much she knows about, so I don't want to read too much into it. But like, if she knew that like Baltar was having his trial now, and if she knew like that Ty was going to be testifying like yeah why not piss him off a little because maybe he'd be more likely Mm -hmm. to like say something wrong right right and whether or not she knows he's testifying soon she certainly wants to unnerve him right you know so like if you have had Baltar whispering about oh bring up his his bring up his lost love that's a good idea it it, it's meant to rattle him yeah which it does yeah um, but she does like apparently give them good information about the fact that there was a particular signature on the uh, Tilium ship that the Cylons must have figured out how to track, and and they're mm-hmm. able to fix it or you know use it to their advantage in one way or another. We don't really see sort of the result of this yet, mm-hmm. um, but. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, Lee, Lee later sort of suggests, like, hey, what if we use it as, like, a red herring kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So, okay. So, that's sort of the situation, stuff that's going on kind of outside the trial. Um, although, as you said, maybe it affects what does end up going on in the trial. Um, you know, the opening remarks, I mean, I don't know that there's much to say even beyond what you already kind of mentioned with, like, the numbers and stuff. Like, that's a big part of the prosecution's opening. Um, Cassidy, mm-hmm. you know, talks about, like, you know, how do we measure loss? And, and kind of goes through these, like, sort of potential ways to measure it and then talks about, like, the numbers and how many people were killed and how that's all sort of Baltar's fault. Um mm-hmm. Romo, you know, the. so this is where you were kind of talking about, too, I think, last week about the overplaying it a little, mm. um, which I always, like, in, in that sort of situation, I always think of Liar Liar and the outtakes afterwards where Jim Carrey, you know, yells out, overactor, and um, that kind of thing. But, like, I mean, it feels more, because, like, it is a courtroom drama, right? Like, the, the, these episodes sure. are at least in part, courtroom dramas. So it's, you know, sort of appropriate to that genre, I guess. Yeah, and I actually mind his overacting less here because it feels like it's the character's performance. Right, right. He's acting for the judges and the people watching. And yeah, yeah. Right, Let let me reflect your irrational mob anger back at you and see how smart and attractive you think it is uh so so i i buy it a little bit more that way yeah no i i agree um and yeah like i mean you know pulling out the like shocking like we'll change our plea to guilty and then 
you know, clearly right. not meaning, you know, that's not what he's doing, but like, right, right. you know, showing how there's a prejudice and all of that. Um, right. Yeah. And I don't know that I have much more about his sort of opening. I didn't even write it down or anything, but like, I mean, the only other thing I would add is that I feel like for me, he brings up a good point, which I feel like maybe we talked about, but did maybe, I can't remember how much, um, of this idea of what else, all right, the government of New Caprica, the decision to settle and the way it was run aside, and the, the way the Cylon occupation unfolded and Baltar's decisions and the death list and all that aside. The simple question of... That's a lot of things to so set aside. That's a lot of things to lay aside, which Romo very intentionally leaves aside. Yeah. But he focuses on the one defensible thing, I think, in a very strategic way, which is the, the simple decision of what do you do when the Cylons show up? Um, and because that's really what, in some ways, the prosecution is about, is... Baltar handed us over to the Cylons, which resulted in this, you know, catastrophe. And Romo's defense is, what else could he have done? They show up, say surrender or die, and he can either let them kill everyone or he can agree to that. And you kind of feel like, yeah, in some ways that is the one defensible aspect of perhaps yeah. if Rosalind or Ty or Adama right. had been in charge, that would have gone very differently. Right. And so the idea of we owe the lives that did get saved to Baltar is maybe the one positive sort of spin right. he can put on the whole situation. Right. So if you're going like the whole utilitarian route of counting numbers of people, like 51,000 or 5,197 is a lot better number than all 44,000 people dying. Right. right. If like, they if they'd resisted and then been like yeah, nuked if, or if, something. If you're just talking pure numbers here, like Right. Right. Yeah. Cylons. Right. And I mean it it is a spin and it is it omits a lot of other Sure. elements and details, but it is the one thing where you go, Okay, there's a point there. Right. Um yeah. Yeah. Um one thing we didn't I don't, we didn't really talk about bringing up was like the different judges. Um, so there's five of them, mm. right? And I think coming into it, certainly the first time uh, I came into it, like the assumption, I guess, for me was just that like Adama would be like the chief judge or justice or whatever. Sure. You want. But he's not, it, right? Right. So it's, right. Um, I don't. Thank God. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't know their names. I don't know if we've even, like, officially gotten their names yet. Um, I don't know that we have. No. Other than, does Rosalind say one of them when she's pulling out the names from the Oh, bucket? yeah, but I didn't, like, write it down. And, like, we wouldn't know which judge it was, right? Like, we, there, we don't mm -hmm. have a correlation. So, very interesting that we don't sort of have an introduction there. And, mm -hmm. you know, that it's not Adama who's in the lead. Like, I wonder how that got chosen. Mm. Was that also sort of random pick? Like, is it like the first one I pick? Is the, mm -hmm. you know, chair or whatever? Um, 
and then yeah like the the idea that like they're kind of more invested in the process than adama is and yeah. I, i'm not kind of like a lot more like adama for adama uh he's kind of no better than ty in the circle right like Mm-mm. as far as yeah. like rubber stamping a, a death here um mm-hmm. yeah and and his his interference at multiple points to yeah stop a line of questioning or protect a witness or whatever and, um, and maybe like pretty inexcusable I, you know i mean we've run across this before where we don't quite know procedurally or like uh constitutionally or whatever like how similar you know mm-hmm. capricorn or not capricorn but like colonial laws and jurisprudence uh are to like you know good old usa <laughs> laws and jurisprudence but like there's that sense of it, it, it like seems similar enough that like maybe he overstepped his bounds to, of to like say anything about contempt of court like maybe it's only the chief judge who can call contempt of court or maybe it's like mm-hmm. there actually has to be a vote and so he kind of he he does his military i'm the admiral thing and gets shot down like well mm-hmm. no, i kind of like to hear what he has to say and and mm-hmm. you know that's it so yeah, yeah i don't i mean very interesting sort of lineup there um and that we get it not just like from one but like from a couple of the other judges on the panel so like Right. Clearly, right. clearly, you're setting up for who's going to be the tiebreaker vote, you know, kind of thing. Like we've we've got sure. two who've gone against Adama, you know, and then next we'll see, you know, probably someone who agrees with Adama on something, or and then maybe a waffler, like right. you right. know, that right. kind of thing. Like just coming into it cold turkey, not knowing like where it's going to go necessarily. Obviously, mm. there's some tension that they're that they're building up here, but um, right, yeah. I don't know anything else to add about the judges themselves. Um, no, no, I think you, you summed it up pretty well. Um, um, yeah, I, I, I hadn't forgotten necessarily, but like definitely watching this again, coming away. Um, Adama does not come off well in this episode, like at all. Like in all, well, like between the interactions with Lee, the interactions with Ty, and then those moments of trying to impose his will on on the courtroom proceedings, um, this is not not the greatest look for him. I mean, and and in human ways of wanting to protect people, but um, but some pretty egregious abuses of power. You know, or at least he's flirting with it and being stopped, but right. he's willing to. And and yet at the same time, like he said to Lee in the in the last episode, he's um, seeing himself as this this uh, you know dispassionate and objective judge who can see the truth of the situation and make a fair and impartial decision. And then you get to this episode and you're like, uh-huh, like yeah. <laughs> we're only halfway through the trial and it's not really looking too good. Yeah, fair so, and impartial so long as Baltar gets killed. Right, right. Yes, 
fair and impartial a decision which I've already concluded before we've even had the trial. Yeah. But the decision was made impartially. Yeah. Um, all right. So talking about like the witnesses then, right? So you have Ty, uh, who <laughs> is like distracted by mm-hmm. this, you know, radio or song or whatever that he keeps thinking he hears, you know, around the ship. Um, to the point where, like, he's commenting on it and everyone's kind of looking, looking at him like he's crazy. Right, in the middle of in, his testimony. In the middle of his testimony. And, um, you know, his testimony itself, like, you know, it starts out easily enough, I guess, with, or not easily, but, like, simply enough, I guess, where, of, you know, just talking about, like, Baltar never helped the resistance and, you know he even tried to like target Baltar and the suicide bombing and, and all of that. Um, and yeah, like, I mean, his, it's not like nobody has seen Ty drinking before. Like you have to, you have to figure if like, you know, someone who doesn't really know Ty can like spot him as being drunk. Like probably everyone in the room knows he's drunk, right? Like his, mm-hmm. You know, there's reporters, obviously, but, like, there's also, like, people that he's worked with and knows, and you have to believe that Adama knows he's drunk, right? Yes. And, and, which, again, like, there's another thing for Adama's integrity, or lack thereof, of, like, Mm -hmm. you would think that he would say, yeah, no, this can't happen, but, Mm -hmm. uh, he allows Ty to keep, you know, uh, testifying or whatever, and basically lets Ty hang his own noose, <laughs> like mm-hmm. to the point where he admits in open court to killing Ellen, um, who moments before he insisted was only faking, mm-hmm. you know, and giving information to Salons, which, if that's the case, then why did you need to kill her? Like, if she was right. just faking it or giving them bad info, then you wouldn't need to do it. But he admits to killing her. Um, and then blaming Baltar for that right. decision. Right. Yeah. And then... Right. And so much of this is the post-circle thing of, if he'd only waited, you know? Like, post the circle, he would have made a different decision. But he did it there in the moment. Yeah. And then the amnesty came. Right. For all of the supposed collaborators or those who were faking it or whatever it was. Um, but it's too late for Ellen because he already did it. So, yeah, his his guilt is totally, like, laid bare in front of the whole fleet to, sure. to see. And totally... Like you said, ties his own noose and undermines his entire testimony because he concludes with, I hate Baltar because I killed my wife and therefore I would say anything to see Baltar die. And so right. it's like, that doesn't look great so, for your... yeah. You're credible or not? Like, yeah, right. yeah. 
Right. And this is your this is your honorable leader of the resistance movement who orchestrated defense right. of well, citizens and suicide and, also, and everything. And even calls into question how much he actually knew about what was going on. Right. Right. Like the moment where Romo's like, um, what is it? Where she, you know, where Ty says she was faking it. And Romo's like, okay, so Baltar wasn't faking it. Ty says, that's right. And it's like clear that he has no basis on which to say this other right. than that he believes it to be true. Right. And that he dislikes Baltar. And he dislikes Baltar. Right. And so Romo's finishing with no further questions. Like Ty said everything that needed to be said about Ty's own attitudes yeah. to this whole trial. Um, so... With Roslyn testifying, um, right, she starts with the whole, there were 200 people, we were sent to be killed, and Baltar signed the list. I, like, I don't, re like, I, I don't remember back to that episode well enough. Like, does she actually see that? Like, like, this is a thing where it's like, how do you know Baltar signed it? Like, mm. did you see the order, you mm. know, what, mm. you know, what did it look like? Do we have a copy of it? Like now, right. you know, all of those sorts of things. Um, right. I, and I think there's more in the second part about the, like the death list itself. So I think yeah, that's yeah. something they come back sure. to. Um, but like, just but even from yeah, Roslyn's yeah. perspective, it's like you were, you were rounded up and put onto a truck. Like, I figure at that point, right. like, are they actually, like, it's not like, show me a warrant, and, like, they can't do anything until they produce a warrant. Like, they're killing right. people. Like, they've already got you, mm -hmm. you know, rounded up in a truck. Like, they're not going to, like, prove to you that Baltar signed something. But I don't mm -hmm. I don't remember to, to know, well enough to know if that was something they did. But, um, yeah, so she talks about you know, being rounded up about the names and all that. And then um, in the cross-examination, which Lee does, uh, like he, he doesn't even really focus on any of that, right? Like he focuses mm -hmm. on the whole Kamala extract. And, and so like, actually, I think he, you know, they did a good job of like the way it was acted with like, where it's like, he's kind of fumbling around, right? Like he's Bambi learning to walk and, <laughs> and, uh, you know, trying to figure out where he's going. And like, he doesn't like quite know the right way to object or to respond to an right. objection or whatever, but like, right. It's like, yeah. Objection grounds. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. So it's like just trying to figure things out, but like, I mean, actually does a really good job of, like, leading Rosalind to, you know, talk about Kamala Extract and then, like, the fact that she's taking it now and, like, mm. you know, how, like, again, like, kind of totally ignoring the facts of the list and what mm. Baltar may or may not have done and, and any of that mm. and completely right. calling Deflecting into question the, yeah. her credibility. Um, mm -hmm. as a person really 
um, mm-hmm. where he fails, I think. I, I don't know. I don't remember well enough what happens in the second part um, mm. to know exactly like how things shake out. But where I think he fails is, of course, when Rosalind's like, aren't you going to ask me why I'm taking it again? And it's like, at that mm. point, everyone knows why. Like, you wouldn't be ma- right. prompting that if you didn't know. And he should have just said the defense rests, you know, or whatever, whatever you say after you're done with the witness and shut up about it. But then like, she's mm-hmm. able to sort of goad him into asking her, mm-hmm. which it, like then deflects on all of the things that he was sort of leaning towards, which was to discredit her. And now she becomes sympathetic and believable right she's not an addict she's a martyr right you know or a leader or a prophet or whatever um so giving her the power back in of the situation rather than somebody who i feel like what he's suggesting is that it's somebody who continues to take this medicine because right like more for the religious you know visions and whatever effects than the healing potential healing i guess it's still like it's controversial. Like there's no right, whatever. Um, right, or she was healed and continued to take it because she couldn't stop, or because it gave her these visions, or whatever. So yeah, right, right. But he does kind of hand the power back to her by letting her kind of drop that bombshell on the radio in front of everybody. Um, yeah, and like he has to kind of dissociate from their relationship in order to pursue that line of questioning. But she kind of reels him back in with that of, well, it's relevant to me. So mom's asking you to please do something. And like, like, of course he's good. Like, again, that, that way she has of saying, just do it, yep. <laughs> you know, doesn't um, hurt to ask. Does it? Yeah. But it kind of yeah, did. Yeah. That time. Right, right. Yeah, so it kind of, I feel, in a way, ends up as a stalemate. Like, like yeah, they distracted from the Baltar death list, but then also with distracted from her discrediting. And so it's kind of like, all right, who has the upper hand now? It's a little hard to... Right, to figure out. Everybody's just trying not to talk about the stuff that, like, Baltar actually did or, you know... <laughs> Um, so yeah, and then, uh, sort of the fallout from that, right, is, is then Rosalind has her press conference, um, which she tries, you know, I mean, she seems to handle as well as can be. She's almost seems a little flippant about some of it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I think so too. And. Um, of course, Tori gets upset and, um, you know, uses some choice words with one of the, uh, reporters and, you know, Roslyn sends her away and sort of chastises her. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, so obviously like we didn't know from an audience perspective, right? Like if we're, if we're having no future knowledge about her cancer yeah. or anything, right? Like, 
right the audience doesn't know at that point until it's revealed in the episode that it's come mm-hmm. back so um apparently fairly new apparently mm-hmm. you know she's taking she's not like waiting this time to like see how it pans out she's like already mm-hmm. started taking Kamala extract and i don't know what a, like she doesn't mention really other uh remedies or therapies mm-hmm. or whatever you have um but yeah that's uh mm-hmm. that's where Rosalind's at i guess and then um Tama. yeah well sorry any yeah. anything else with Rosalind? i guess before we move on um no we can switch over to were you so, gonna switch to Adama and Ty and their and, weird yeah codependency? And then like <laughs> and then like to Lee, right? So sure, yeah, yeah, like Adama and Ty, like you know, there's a very right. there's Adama has a huge Ty shaped blind yeah, spot in very, his very much an I can't quit you vibe. <laughs> um, I yeah. you know what like I'm not suggesting anything physical per se but like sure like there's very much yeah right a tie-shaped hole in his heart and right 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 and it surpasses reason you know like when adama says you could never embarrass me i'm like um okay you know you say so (laughs) you should be embarrassed like this is not like, like this isn't a good thing like Ty showing up to his testimony, if there if ever there was a time where it was okay to get embarrassed by Ty, it's when he shows up drunk to his testimony and confesses murdering his wife at, on the stand at, during his witness for like the defense. <laughs> at a trial that Adama is overseeing. Presiding. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like like Embarrassment is the healthy reaction to this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like the least, like the minimum healthy reaction. Like that's right. Like it shouldn't. That's where it begins. That's not where it ends. But right, yeah. right. Um. So in that vein, um, I love the little exchange with Hilo and Gata, where Hilo gets promoted again to like random whatever random vacancy right. we have. And how happy Gata is to salute Hilo. Oh, like, yeah. oh, morning, XO. Like, this is like all my dreams got yeah. fulfilled overnight. And yeah, which, Hilo's kind I of... I mean, again, Ty tried to, like, shove yeah. Gata out an airlock. So, like... Right. And even before that, he's been oh, yeah. this drunken mess. And so, yeah. And Hilo's kind of, oh, he'll pull it together. And Gata's like, right. Yeah, like, well, that's never going to happen. When has that ever happened? Okay. Right. Moving on. So I like so I guess, that little moment of, like, just acknowledging that, like, yeah, Ty still is a pain in everybody's butt. And they're kind of not too upset when he's out of commission for a couple of days. Um, does that mean Hilo's still also keg? Because he just was promoted to that, too. Like I don't know. <laughs> Somebody else must be being keg. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Hilo is sort of like Mr. Oddjob guy. Yeah, yeah. But like really high level odd jobs. Sure. 
Right, like, like, like oversee the Dogville, like. Right. Right, or XO of the ship, yeah. or CAG, or it's like, yeah. Um, it's just funny. Um, but I, I like to imagine that the little CIC crew is like, okay, we get a break for a couple days. Good, Hilo's here. Right. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I mean, Adama and Ty, like, like, I get it. They're friends. They've been friends for a while. They've worked together for a long time. I don't know. Like, so the whole conversation between Lee and Adama, right? Mm. Um, which is before Rosalind's testimony. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lee, like, offers some suggestions, you know, with regard to, like, the Tillium ship and, like, fooling the Cylons and stuff and whatever. But then it gets into, like, I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't get Adama's reaction of, like, I think you have no integrity, you know, because you're, you know, helping out the defense for Baltar and stuff. Like, it it just seems a bit uncharacteristic based mm. on, like, other times where we've seen Adama, like, taking principled stands. And I'm, sure. I'm thinking of, like, even, like, with him and um, the Pegasus, uh, Oh, King. King. Yes, thank you. Like, like, we don't rape Cylons. Like, mm. like, like, if you're going to take that stand, like, mm-hmm. you kind of feel like you should be taking the stand of, like, we're still a democracy and, you know, have, like, even for, like, the worst crimes, we still have a process of justice. Mm-hmm. And, and I just don't see... I don't know. I guess I guess I see a disparity in character on his part. And maybe that's mm-hmm. like maybe that's kind of the point is that like then he's calling Lee, you know, as having he's saying that Lee has no integrity when mm. Adama's sort of the one who's not being integritous. I don't know what the right word like for that is, but like yeah. like Adama isn't showing integrity here really at all. And so maybe it's just that, you know, that thing of like, I I don't feel good about my own stance, so I'm going to sort of crap all over yours. Um, sure. Sure. Yeah, I think I'm trying to think of other examples. And I'll see if I can. But I feel like Adama gets both in in the ways of like who he protects, whether it's like Thai or Starbucks, like, you know, misdemeanors or whatever. And then both who he totally turns on. I feel like it hinges very much on a personal loyalty to him. Like who does he feel betrayed by? Um, And I'm not saying that that's defensible. Necessarily. Sure, sure. But I feel like there's a common, like, where I feel like it's easier maybe 
to not easy because other people didn't agree with this, but for Adama, I think it's maybe easier to have abstract principles like rape is bad even with Cylons and harder to have principles when it's things that turn on his own personal feelings of betrayal or disloyalty. Um, so I feel like that's when he reacts in an unrestrained way is when uh, like Lee or somebody does something that's deliberately disobedient or goes against not just his orders, but like his personal relationship with them. Mm -hmm. And that's when he starts like locking people up, you know, like that's when people get thrown in the brig is when you betrayed me in some way. Right. Um, right. Like, well, basically like when you start spouting off about being into contempt of court, like here, right. It's, right. it's because yeah. like, yeah, yeah. it's offensive to him. Not even directly to him, but again, through Ty. Like, it's his relationship right. there. Like, you... Right. You've offended my best friend. And, right. Yeah. This cannot stand. Right. Um, I, yeah, I guess I see. I see that to a certain extent. I don't know. I just... I, and I, again, I don't necessarily find that... A, that's certainly not a defensible character trait. But I just... Yeah, I, no, if no. I feel like... If there's a, if there's a pattern to it. That's the pattern. Sure. That the thing that might connect all those moments of Adama, yeah. why are you totally acting out of character for your principles? I feel like those are the times where that's the moments where he tends to react in, in that sort of way. Sure. Um. Yep. I hear you. I don't, I don't disagree. Um, I don't know. I just don't like it. <laughs> like that's no, what it. I don't either. Yeah. Like I said, this this is like not a good look for Adama. This episode oh, yeah. at all no. is not a good look for um, him. Um, he should not never have been let onto that judging panel. Um, yeah. At least the way things are looking so far, it's uh, not the fact that it's his friends and loved ones on the stand and he's right. behind on the judge's bench is not a good mix because that's his flaw is his, his, um, favorites, yep. the favorites that he plays and the things that he lets them get away with and then overcompensates by, I think, over punishing the ones who aren't favorites, you know? So, well, and so it's not a good mix for the courtroom. <laughs> so if there's a loyalty thing, it, it's unidirectional, right? Because it's it's always has to be loyalty to him. But, mm -hmm. like, he's perfectly... Like, even with his own children, he's perfectly mm -hmm. willing to, like, give up his loyalty, which he's done on and off with Lee throughout mm -hmm. the series. But, like, especially yep. here, where it's, like... Like, it's not even bad... Like, it's bad enough that it's, like, oh, we're, we're arguing and... Uh, whatnot, but he calls Lee a liar and a coward. Yeah. And so, like, that to me is like, like, really? Like, mm. like, what, what is, 
what has Lee lied about? And what has he done that's been cowardly? Mm -hmm. And it's not like nothing he, that he's done. He all he in fact, if anything, it's the people that Adama is defending, Ty and Rosalind, who have been lying and acting like cowards in, in their own ways. You know, mm -hmm. by not owning up to the truth of the situation that they're in. Um, mm -hmm. Ty, clearly, in many respects, but, like, even Rosalind, like, not coming clean about the Kamala extract as part of her current, mm -hmm. you know, bout of cancer and all of that. So, like... Right. You're calling your own son a liar and a coward for simply... And, and Lee kind of says that. Like, I... I'm just like pointing out things that are going on. And I, mm -hmm. I mean, again, like sort of Lee's flaw. I don't, this might not, I think this was with D, not Adama, but like where he's like, he's like focusing on the wrong thing. Like, well, everyone has a mm -hmm. right to question, you know, the, mm -hmm. their witnesses, you know, integrity or yeah. whatever. And it's like, that's, that's the wrong tack. You should like, first of all, you should know D's not going to, fall for that but like mm -hmm. like that's not even the right tack like regardless it's it's that thing of like Rosalind lied like and I mm -hmm. showed how she was lying like why am I being chastised for that like mm -hmm. why is why is it my fault that Rosalind got caught in a lie mm -hmm. I just pointed out the fact that she was lying and if if that results in the fact in Baltar getting away, then it's not my fault. It's her fault for lying in the first place. Mm -hmm. And the same with Ty. Like, mm -hmm. you know, those are, I, I don't know. It, like, it just seems to me like, yeah, like everyone's sort of ignoring like those aspects of things. And like, it, like even him when it's like, that's what he should be focused on. But anyway, so, um, Going back to Adama, yeah. like the whole like calling of a liar and a coward, like it's he's a liar and a coward just because he doesn't like agree with Adama. Like, yep, like that's all it is. There's no question of like Adama being loyal to his own son for any reason. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's it's definitely a one way ticket mm -hmm. as far as that goes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and as much as um, Lee is his son, and I think Adama has shown love for him in some ways, I think in some ways he's not one of the favorites, you know? And so he doesn't get away with the what, what you know, people like Ty or Starbuck um, or Rosalind have, that there's a a forgiveness and an acceptance of flaws and weaknesses Um that, you know, Lee can do the right thing and still not get included in that kind of loving fatherly acceptance thing. Yeah. So, yeah, I think in this case, yeah, loyalty means you do what I say and and how dare you take an opposing position yeah. from where I'm sitting. Yeah. Um. So sort of the last of like the fallout from all the trial stuff too is then um, 
who I just alluded to a moment ago with with D and uh, mm -hmm. her leaving. D leaves Lee. Uh, D leaves Lee. And you know, with that same sort of disgust of Lee as like standing up and defending Baltar. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily mm -hmm. need to go into details there, but just kind of. Yeah, and and it's interesting though. Like, I mean, I don't disagree with that, but like, she doesn't even really bring. I guess she says like she alludes to Baltar of like the system elected him and now the system's trying to let him walk. But like, that's more her frustration is with this defense of a system that doesn't necessarily that she sees as indefensible, um, which in a way it sounded a little bit like Zarek to me, like with less bomb throwing, I think, sure. but like the way she kind of said, we need to take it apart and put it back together. Yeah. Like, that's a Zarek sentiment, even if her methods would be more peaceful than his, you know? Because, like, obviously she's made it clear she doesn't uh, approve of Zarek as a, a spokesperson for her people and didn't agree with his methods. But still, there's a similar kind of right. anti-establishment idea there of right. let's just you stop can... trying to pretend that this works and start over with something else, whatever it is. Yeah. You, so. you know, you can take the girl out of Sagittarian, but you can't take Sagittarian out of the girl <laughs> kind there of idea. <laughs> um, exactly that. Yeah. 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 A kind of, she's, that's an outsider's perspective. That's somebody who's not invested in maintaining the status quo of like, right. no, I'm looking at it from an odd angle where this clearly isn't working. So we need to just but, scrap it and try again. But again, like, so it's not like, it sounds like a principled stance in a way, right? Like, sure. Like, oh, the system is broken, but is the system really broken? Or, or are you only saying the system's broken because, it's because not it's not giving you, you right, your desired results? Yeah. So right. like if, if taking apart and putting it back together just to get the result that you wish you got, mm -hmm. like, does that make it a better system or does it just make it like a system right. that's, you know, trained to your whim? Mm. Like, and is that really ultimately mm -hmm. any better than Zarek or Adama or whomever we might chastise for kind of how they're sure. doing? Like, and that's the thing, like, like this goes back to the whole, Again, sort of assuming assuming there's kind of similarities between the colonial legal system and the like U.S. you know legal, mm -hmm. especially in like the founding documents type stuff. Like that's the whole you know Thomas mm -hmm. Jefferson idea of like it's it's better to let you know a thousand guilty men go free than to like put right. to death one, one innocent, innocent man. Yeah, and and like but they're like no no it's really a lot better to kill those thousand guilty men. Like I can't right. say that that's better, but like, if that's what you believe, right. well, like, and it's like, they all would agree. Like you said, there's the, the facade of virtue of like, I think everyone here would say they agree with that 
Thomas Jefferson sentiment. The problem is that they're all convinced that Baltar is guilty. There's no real presumption of innocence right. here. Like, we're just starting, like, of course we wouldn't kill innocent people, but Baltar's not innocent. So what's right. the problem? And like, we're starting from a place of guilt and not from a place of presumed innocence. Other than... I mean, even Lee says, like, this is our low-life pond scum. Right. Like, he, right, right. <laughs> I love how even Lee and Romo, like, assume yeah. that Baltar is this, which he is. Well, like, I'm not disagreeing that he is this low-life necessarily, but, like, nobody really ever presumes a place of innocence for him. Except that we were there. We saw the gun being held to his head. Like... Like right. the, we're really the, the only ones. Who the have, irony yeah. here is that he kind of actually is innocent, and right. and that's not right. to say Especially, that every decision yeah. that he made was a good one, or that he didn't acquiesce right. at times because he certainly did. But like, mm -hmm. you know, there's there's absolutely in in U.S. law like considerations for mitigating circumstances and being under duress, mm -hmm. like. Mm -hmm. You know, just because you say a thing, if if there's a gun being held to your head, like that doesn't that doesn't necessarily make you guilty. Like, right? You know, so yeah, yep, yeah. So that I mean, that's kind of the shame of it all, too. Is that like, like, yes. like, yes, Baltar, slimy dude, like, not someone you should maybe let your daughter hang out with but at the same time like he he's not what they're accusing him of being and mm -hmm. and they're treating him as a scapegoat basically and yeah it it like in that respect like the problem isn't that the system doesn't work it's that it's actually working right and people and just, people don't, just like don't like it the results and yeah. like yep. regardless of whether they like it it's actually like protecting someone who really isn't guilty at least oh, at least <laughs> at least of of the things they're accusing him of right right which kind of in a way goes back to the original conversation with tori and the prosecutor where the prosecutor's like Stop telling me to charge him with things I cannot prove. Yeah. You know, like if you want to say, what are we putting on him on trial for? Is it for being like a crappy president? Right. Okay. Is it for, yes, agreeing to um, not to say like uh, yes to the Cylon invasion on the condition that people will live? Okay. Like that's a provable thing, whatever. But like they all want to prove that he you know, A, was responsible for the original genocide of the whole colonies, and B, was this kind of murderous dictator and mastermind behind this reign of terror that the Cylons held. And those things, he is implicated in some aspects of those things, but he's not directly responsible for them, like you said. So, yeah, they're overreaching what they can actually prove and they're getting knocked off one by one yep. from you know yeah um which is really well done i like that about 
this and like I'm really excited to talk about part two because mm-hmm. there's more to come sure. of like some of these things we've been talking around to become important key points of the second half. So well, I'm you know before we I'm get enjoying there. the 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 tangledness of it. Yeah. Before we get there though, we have to talk about the music. <gasps> yes. Um so yeah we we get some snippets with like Ty fiddling with the radio and like Sam kind of like looking at him like he kind of hears something too and and saying like oh oh yeah. that you almost got it there oh you almost got it yeah um and then Tori who apparently hasn't been sleeping very well and and you kind of get a look from her like she hears something and and like her and Sam sort of share a look like, mm-hmm. you know, they both hear something, but you don't really know what it is. Um, of course, Ty is the sort of most outspoken one about it all, right? Like he thinks it's being, and, you know, partly because he's drunk. He thinks it's being played in the courtroom when, of course, it's not. Right. Um, right. He yells at them to turn off the music. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so, of course, he has that closing line of the episode of, like, like he finally discovered like where it's coming from. It's it's in the fracking ship, and uh, yeah, yeah. So I mean, yeah, I my I think I can confidently say it's my favorite line of this series. Is his his growl as he realizes the music is coming from within the ship. It's great. Um. So yeah, and also you had a note here too about Sam being, you know, sort of training as a nugget. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, just worth kind of noting of he's yeah. okay with Caragon. What's his his role and his purpose in the fleet? And so he and Celix are in this sort of new crop of Viper nuggets that are being trained. Um, yeah. So. Just, I feel like it's very easily glossed over and not necessarily that noticeable. So I just figured it would be worth pointing out. Fair enough. Okay. Um, so yeah, but yeah, we've got part two coming up. And mm-hmm. uh, we're back to Buffy next week with a... Uh, yes, thank you for reminding me. <laughs> for, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forget to keep switching back and forth now. Yeah, well, so we're back to Buffy with a Jane Espenson episode, so looking forward to that. And so I don't know if it quite counts out right, but we've got, in a few weeks, Jane Espenson episodes in both Buffy and BSG, but I don't know if I don't know if the timing works, that oh. it'll be the same episode that we talk about here. So we'll have to keep an eye mm. on that, maybe count up and, and see where we're at, but... Just figured I'd point that out that that we've got a few of those coming up. Um, she she co-writes, so she writes episode three here in Buffy of this season, and then she co-writes episodes seven and eight. So it might it might work out that we get an overlap week with uh, with her. So I mean, okay. if it didn't happen, if that doesn't happen, as the patron saint of our our podcast, like. I don't know. I feel like maybe we we might have to figure out a way to make that happen. <laughs> wait, wait, Buffy episode eight. Is that what you said? Uh, seven, seven, and, seven eight. and eight. Yes. 
It does line up. Yes. Oh, it does. Okay, so, so there excited. is one. Yeah. I, I was. Yeah, with with one of the with BSGs, one of the BSGs. Yeah, it does line up. So I w- I wasn't looking at our chart. I was just kind of looking at the list here in um, uh, uh, Wikipedia, and so I was. I couldn't remember like with the angel episodes how it all worked out, but right. Um, yeah. Good. Good to know yeah. that we get uh, season season four episode eleven of BSG is okay is one of hers. So well, there we go. Awesome. All right. All Espenson all the time. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, before that, we have next week, which is uh, an episode of hers, and. Uh, yeah, we won't actually get to that for several months. But, right. <laughs> but it's exciting. It's something to look forward to. But it's something to look forward to. Um, all right. I know. I'm excited. Well, until then, we'll, uh, we'll be back next week. All right. All right. See you then.